From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Monday, August 21st, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Chinese President Xi Jinping is attending the BRICS summit in Johannesburg and paying a state visit to South Africa. The second round of balloting in Guatemala's presidential election has produced a surprise winner. A small city in Canada's far north is uh, nearly emptied as people flee from wildfires. In business, China's rising trade with other BRICS nations. In sports, the FIFA Women's World Cup has crowned a winner. Now a check of the day's top stories. Chinese President Xi Jinping will join leaders from other countries at the BRICS summit in Johannesburg this week. He's also paying a state visit to South Africa at the invitation of President Cyril Ramaphosa. Ahead of his departure, President Xi's published a signed article in South Africa, uh, South African media calling for closer friendship and cooperation between the two countries. Following the BRICS summit, more countries may soon become members of the group. Zhao Yunfei explains why many are requesting to join. South Africa is the host country of this year's BRICS summit. One of the key topics on the agenda is BRICS expansion. South African officials say representatives from around 40 countries have shown a keen interest in becoming part of the group. Official requests have been made by 23 nations. These aspirations to join the group reflects a growing demand for a reformed world order, which is currently dominated by the West. Them coming to the table with us will only strengthen the South-to-South cooperation that we need for a sustainable future. So I'm absolutely delighted that the countries have come knocking at the brick stores rather than us having to go to them. The decision to expand the membership was reached at last year's Beijing summit. Now I'm here at the media center of the Johannesburg summit. The agenda says this year it aims to establish, quote, guiding principles, standards and procedures to expand the BRICS. I think that any admission of new members would be, in my view, to aim to improve and enhance multilateralism rather than cause these binary economies. It's in not, nobody's best interest we have these binary economies. The BRICS Business Council takes place ahead of the summit. Entrepreneurs and investors gather here to discuss the world's trending topics. Many participants say the move to expand the BRICS comes amid economic challenges caused by the pandemic and a surge in great power politics. The expansion demonstrates the growing strength of cooperation among developing nations as part of the goal of building a fairer international order. And we are engaging on critical topics. You know, I've, I've just come out of an energy forum, you know, really around how we collaborate and how we share knowledge in actually strengthening each other's country's energy um, security. 
Decades of cooperative win-win efforts have led to this point, driven by ambition of amplifying the voice of developing countries in global affairs and governance. How was Zhao Yunfei in Johannesburg ahead of the BRICS summit? Saudi Arabia is among the countries that are hoping to join BRICS and become a member of its new development bank. As a global governance platform built by major developing economies, BRICS has shown greater appeal to Riyadh, which is seeking to enhance cooperation with non-Western states. Ahmad Shahidov reports. Saudi Arabia is one of the countries that is closely interested in the BRICS mechanism and aspires to join this group. This comes as Saudi Arabia seeks to bolster political and economic ties with non-Western states. Saudi Arabia is holding qualified discussions with BRICS China's based bank, the New Development Bank, about the kingdom's potential membership. Broader strategic economic collaboration between Saudi Arabia and the BRICS countries is likely to intensify as the kingdom seeks to exploit opportunities offered by the deeper trade partnerships with the larger economies. Economist and banker Walid Yahya from Saudi Arabia explains why Riyadh is interested in the BRICS mechanism and plans to join this group. The BRICS countries, which collectively represent about 27% of the world's geographic area and are home to 42% of the global population, share significant structural features, such as rapidly growing economies, substantial military capabilities, and increasing political influence in global governance institutions. Yahya says a membership of BRICS could also benefit Saudi Arabia economically. Membership of the multilateral grouping would facilitate Saudi Arabia's access to the emerging markets, which will become increasingly important for Riyadh's industrialization policy that seeks to boost non-oil exports. Saudi Arabia's potential move to join BRICS would also underpin and highlight closer diplomatic ties, which could support Saudi efforts to defend market shares in significant oil-importing countries such as China, India and South Africa. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is one of the world's largest crude oil exporters, owning 15% of global oil reserves and is a founding member of the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, OPEC. In 2017, China proposed a BRICS plus cooperation. This concept provides an opportunity for more emerging markets and developing countries to see cooperation under the BRICS mechanism, marking a new partnership stage as it is no longer limited to five member states. Economist Walid Yahya adds that joining BRICS may also help the kingdom to reduce dependence on the US dollar. Some developing economies are losing confidence in the U.S. dollar amid the dollar crisis, with the de-dollarization becoming a consensus among developing countries, and they are seeking an alternative. Saudi Arabia, which has an important share in the world oil market, is trying to join BRICS as soon as possible in order to get rid of the dependence on the dollar. This is why Riyadh has been reportedly seeking to join the BRICS. Saudi Arabia is likely to join BRICS and the NDB in the coming years in a bid to strengthen trade and investment ties with emerging markets. We also expect Saudi Arabia to maintain its policies, including deepening relations with China and Russia. For the Beijing Hour, I am Ahmad Shahidov. Secretary General Fakila Mbalula of the African National Congress says cooperation among BRICS members has played a a substantive and effective role in boosting development. BRICS is very important. Uh, What we have seen is that uh, there is a big uh, talk now about the BRICS expansion, but also the industrialization uh, agenda. We have seen also the role that has been played by BRICS uh, Bank Uh, that has uh, impacted positively when uh, we're faced with difficult challenges in terms of COVID-19. And that that says that uh, the block in terms of uh, uh, uplifting these countries actually works. He adds that the development, security and civilizations initiatives put forward by Chinese President Xi Jinping are of great significance to the world today. 
it is very significant to the world. The developmental agenda, it doesn't only seek to uplift uh, a particular class, but all classes, by ensure that there is equity, and at the same time, uh, there is justice uh, in the world. And that is very much important uh, in terms of what we seek to achieve. And that, that brings us closer to one another uh, in terms of the developing nations. And uh, that agenda of uh, equitable uh, agenda for all nations is very much central uh, to uh, humankind in terms of uh, the world we seek uh, to uh, uh, achieve and realize in the near future or in the long term, because it is a world of prosperity for all. BRICS represents around 40% of the global population and accounts for roughly 25% of the global economy. A BRICS trade fair is running in Johannesburg ahead of the summit this week. Uh, this fair is a platform for businesses from all over Africa to connect and market their products to Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Uh, Julie Shire caught up with some entrepreneurs at the fair. It's just a few days to go before the BRICS summit takes place here in Johannesburg and there's much buzz around this city. I'm at the BRICS trade fair. It was opened by South Africa's trade and industry minister, Ibrahim Patel. You'll see a number of products. You'll see cars and taxis and buses and three-wheelers that are made here on the African continent. You'll see here also not only a showcase of South African industrial capability, but also of 19 other African countries. The fair is an exciting display of what Africa has to offer, the latest in technology, medical and transport innovation and everyday products. The BRICS um, allows for us to tap into different spaces that we usually wouldn't be um, open to. We're able to meet people from different backgrounds with different ideas. This opportunity that has been given for networking, we hope you know African countries can partner and work together for sustainable growth. It also brings opportunities for African businesses entering an era of industrialization and growth through the Continental Free Trade Agreement. As a company that is in the area of deploying Wi-Fi to underprivileged communities, um, equipment for me is a big one. So uh, I'm attending one of the sessions where Huawei um, is speaking because we, are, you know, we have to find cheaper ways of production to ensure that um, we reduce our costs and um, so that we can roll out to as many communities as possible. I think the opportunities for growth, opportunities for both women, but also the le lessons coming from the COVID-19 that, you know, there are, there's a different way and different shift to grow each other's economies and take advantage of what we each bring to the party. South Africa does $80 billion worth of trade with the BRICS nations. There's now a push to extend that beyond its borders to its neighbors and others on the continent. That was Julie Shire at the BRICS Trade Fair in Johannesburg. Coming up, a surprise winner in Guatemala's presidential election. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. At 12 minutes past the hour, progressive leader Bernardo Arevalo has won Guatemala's presidential election with 60 percent of the vote. The anti-corruption candidate finished second in the first round, but managed to turn the tables on former First Lady Sandra Torres in a surprise win. Uh, Arevalo is the son of a former president. He served as a diplomat and a congressman. The center-left politician's been advocating to curb crime and corruption, tackle malnutrition, and bring economic growth in the Central American country. And his supporters have taken to the streets to celebrate. Alistair Baverstock reports from Guatemala City. What can be described as a landslide win for Bernardo Arevalo is now official. He has defeated his opponent, First Lady, former First Lady Sandra Torres, by nearly one million votes here, following what have been two months of very difficult and controversial campaigning. People were very highly motivated in this election, particularly the youth vote, who have appeared to turn out in very 
very large numbers here. Bernardo Arevalo has been an anti-corruption candidate from the very start. Guatemala is one of the, the, the poorest countries in the whole world, but nevertheless receives billions of dollars a year in international financial aid. But we have been spent many years reporting here and in our coverage of this country, going to the rural areas and speaking with ordinary Guatemalans, it's very rare to hear that any of that, that financial aid actually ends up making a difference where it is meant to. So Bernardo Arevalo will certainly have a task on his hands when it comes to tackling that institutional corruption which the political elite in Guatemala have espoused for many years here. That was Alistair Baverstock on the outcomes of Guatemala's presidential election. In Ecuador, leftist candidate Luisa Gonzalez and former lawmaker Daniel Naboa are going into the second round of the presidential election. Gonzalez had been about a th- or had about a third of the vote, with more than 70% of ballot boxes counted. Naboa trails with around a quarter of the vote. Sunday's voting came amid tight security after a presidential candidate was assassinated earlier this month. Voters are hoping for a government that'll fight crime and boost the flagging economy. Dan Collins has more from Quito. Voting began in Quito amid a powerful display of security. Flanked by police and army commandos, presidential candidate Christian Zurita is running in place of his friend, murdered presidential candidate Fernando Villavicencio. Facing death threats just like his late colleague, Zurita was taking no chances. We will face with determination what it means to bring the country forward under the principles and programs which we have put forward. We must expose all the possible threats against us. Remember, that's how they killed Fernando. The political assassination of the journalist turned politician less than two weeks before the snap election shook the country and many are voting with that in mind. Here, what we need is a leader who first of all guarantees that all citizens can move freely. In the building next door, they killed Fernando Villavicencio. So these are situations that we as Ecuadorians, in a country that used to be one of peace and tranquility, did not see coming. Janet Castro voted with her sister for Conservative candidate Otto Sonnenholzner. I think that he has a good plan to for our safety because we have problems now safety and I think he has good uh, ideas mm-hmm. and also for our situation economical situation. Since Via Vicencio's murder, all the candidates have been focusing on fighting crime and creating peace. Voting in Quito, former president and a parliamentary candidate Lucio Gutierrez said Ecuador needs international help. Ecuador is bleeding to death. Ecuador is falling apart. And if there is no unity between the executive and the legislature, the state could collapse. It could become a failed state, and we could even disintegrate. The Interior Ministry said 100,000 soldiers have been deployed across the country to protect the electoral process. The vast majority of Ecuadorians want peace and security. But to achieve that, the next president will have to focus on the root causes of the surge in crime and violence. The election was called by outgoing president Guillermo Lasso in May to stave off impeachment by a hostile parliament. Whoever is elected will only govern for less than a year and a half, which may not be enough time to make big changes. That was Dan Collins reporting. Denmark and the Netherlands have promised to deliver F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky paid a visit to the Netherlands. Denmark will send the first six planes around the new year. The United States has also pledged to supply Ukraine with these fighter jets. Ukraine's defense minister says training for its pilots has already begun. Russia's called the move a nuclear threat from the West, as F-16 fighter jets are nuclear capable. Some college students in China have a or have had a busy summer uh, with jobs such as dog walking and photography. They're making money while learning new skills. As Chen Yilin reports, they're having fun too. Can't find the time to care for your fluffy friends? Why not leave the job to a college student? This summer, dog walking has become a popular part-time job with Chinese college students. Um, 
I do this out of interest. I love dogs. We saw a post from a pet owner who's looking for helpers to walk her dogs. I think it's nice to help and make new friends. On the video sharing platform Douyin, the hashtag College Dog Walkers has garnered over two billion views. Pet owner Weiran told me more than 70 students contact her after she asked for help online. I have five dogs at home. Sometimes I can't walk all of them by myself. College students are very energetic. They can help my dogs to have sufficient exercise. This is actually a good match in needs. Dog walking is among the latest gigs gaining traction this summer break. Students, in particular, have been increasingly favoring flexible part-time jobs, which can ensure them more to nurture their interests and gain social experiences. Huang Shiyao is an art student who's about to enter college this September. She worked as a freelance photographer over the summer break. The reason I took this job is I like taking photos, from writing online posts to communicating with the customers. These experiences prepare me for finding a job in the future. Huang earns 50 yuan, or around seven dollars an hour. She has received dozens of orders this summer. I'm very satisfied with her work. She taught me poses and found the perfect place for shooting. I like the photos she took. Official data show that around 84 million people in China are now engaged in what have been termed new or emerging jobs. Many of these non-traditional new professions are indeed a result of students' exploration and adaptation to the evolving、uh, job landscape. They may discover novel ways to apply their skills and passions. So while some of these emerging roles may have been initially met with Uh, skepticism or lack of awareness, society's attitude is gradually becoming more inclusive. Graduates across China have been facing increasingly fierce competition on the job market, but these young people say they're open to new ways of making a living, gaining professional and social experience, and creating value for society. That was Chen Ilin reporting. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, tens of thousands of people evacuate a small city in northern Canada. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. At 21 minutes past the hour. Most of the residents in the northern Canadian city of Yellowknife have left their homes for neighboring provinces under the threat of wildfires. In British Columbia, the military is arriving to help tackle the fast-spreading blazes, as more than 35,000 people there are under evacuation orders. Mark Neo has more. Nikki Goyer and her fiance on a frantic drive on the Squilax Highway in British Columbia. No trouble breathing at the very end. You where the right to the right. That is where we felt the most intense heat in the car. You could feel a little bit of warmth driving through it, but most of it, it was just the fear of all the red. Just a few hours' drive east of Vancouver, the city of Kelowna has evacuated tens of thousands of people, with thousands more on evacuation alert. 150 kilometers north, two fires merged around the Shuswap Lake area. Forcing the evacuation of thousands more, British Columbia's premier took the extreme step of ordering an emergency order to halt non-essential travel to the interior region. This is specific to ensuring that we have accommodation available for evacuees, for emergency personnel, so that they have places to stay、uh, as they respond to、uh, the front line and have to evacuate their own camps. In Canada's Northwest Territories, firefighters continue to build firebreaks, hoping to stop the blaze from destroying the region's capital city of Yellowknife. At least 95% of Yellowknife's 20,000 residents have evacuated. The city of Edmonton has responded by opening its Expo Center to serve as an evacuation shelter. Here, people are coming to not only find a place to stay, but also get food, clothing, and even healthcare. 
At the evacuation center, I meet Bonnie Ritchie, who works for the Yellowknife Water and Sewer Division. She's worried about her home, but also worried about Kelowna, the city she grew up in. I do have family and friends who will have their homes burnt down, if not already, in Kelowna. So right now, I'm, my heart's with them, because I know that the loss is going to be pretty impactful there. Um, yeah, I'm hoping that this doesn't happen to Yellowknife. Families from Yellowknife rode a shuttle bus for 24 hours to find a safe place to stay. We are very worried. We don't know if we are going to have a home when we return. It is very devastating. I have three kids, my parents, my family. It is, I don't know, I can't express how I'm feeling right now. Although they've left so much behind, Christine and her family still feel fortunate, like so many walking these grounds, to be here safe and sound with each other. That was Mark Neal with a report on people fleeing wildfires across Canada. Authorities continue to search for the missing on the Hawaiian island of Maui as 114 people are confirmed dead. The real number of people missing remains hard to track because of communications issues. The survivors are disappointed at how authorities handled the fires and the aftermath. Dan Williams spoke with some of them in Lahaina. The complete devastation of a town. Lahaina's culturally rich and vibrant history wiped away in just a few hours. I meet Kim Camacho, a kindergarten teacher. And the flames went from the beach all the way to the highway. It was like a line that went all the way across. Camacho managed to escape, but she lost her home, her belongings, and her pet cat. We grew up poor, and so we finally had just gotten to a place in life where we didn't need anything. We had it, and it's all gone. She's angry that the authorities did not utilize the system of early warning alarms as the fire approached. We didn't have any messages or any warnings at all that the fire was coming until the police officer was actually in my neighborhood. I want to see changes. There needs to be a better emergency system here put in place for no matter where you live in Lahaina. Camacho is now looking forward. She hopes the visit of U.S. President Joe Biden here will give encouragement to the community. The U.S. President Joe Biden will see for himself the destruction caused by this horrific wildfire. And if he wants to witness the spirit of people coming together in the face of adversity, then there are a few better examples than the distribution center. All right, all right. John Benden is the team leader of the operation. Today we have over 200 volunteers at this location. We've given out over 2 million pounds of food so far. And this is really just a, a community-led effort supported by the county. These are all uh, volunteers. Everybody here is a, is a volunteer. Benden's message to Biden and the authorities, don't forget about us. Storms and tragic events like this can come and go in the media, but we don't come and go. Our island is, is here. We are remote. We are in, in need. Maui is going to need the money and, and need that support for a long time to come. This is a town that has been destroyed and it needs hope and help now more than ever. That was Dan Williams in Lahaina on recovery efforts from the wildfires there. Tropical storm Hillary's brought heavy rains and flooding to Southern California. The rains washed trees and mud down a hill in Sheep Canyon, Wrightwood. Forecasters say Hillary is no longer a hurricane, but it's still packing what they call life-threatening rains. Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass says they've asked locals to stay, uh, stay safe and stay home. Avoid unnecessary travel. If you do not need to be on the road, please don't get in your car. Make sure your emergency kit and essential devices are on hand and ensure that all of your devices are charged. In the event of life-threatening emergency, Angelinos should call 911 for impacts like roadway flooding, tree limbs blocking roads, or mudslides. Angelinos should request service online or by calling 311. Bass says the primary mission is to protect the lives and properties of residents. Well, city workers must also be kept safe and city services operating as best as possible. The Los Angeles Fire Department's warned of damage caused by the storm. Meteorologists say Hillary is set to be the wettest storm to hit the U.S. Southwest. It's uh, killed one person already as it swept through Mexico.
We're at 28 minutes past the hour now. Beijing down to 22 degrees this evening. Uh, Tuesday will be sunny in 32. Chongqing's at 25 this evening, then sunny in 35. Lasses down to 11. Showers in 23 tomorrow. Hong Kong's 28 this evening, then cloudy in 32. Uh, elsewhere, Tokyo is at 26 degrees overnight. A light rain in 32 on Tuesday. Islamabad's 27 this evening, then sunny in 36. Bangkok's down to 26 degrees, then moderate rainfall in 34. Uh, in Africa, Nairobi is going to get a slight rain and 27 degrees Celsius. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 12 this evening, a light rainfall and 25 on Tuesday. Auckland is 8 overnight, then cloudy and 13 degrees. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, Chinese President Xi Jinping is attending the BRICS summit in Johannesburg and paying a state visit to South Africa. The second round of balloting in Guatemala's presidential election has produced a surprise winner. And a small city in Canada's far north is nearly emptied as people flee from wildfires. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Monday. Still to come. In business, China's rising trade with other BRICS nations. In sports, the FIFA Women's World Cup is crowned a winner. In culture and entertainment, Barbie's been dethroned from the top of the North American box office. To contact us, you can email audionewsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. Uh, now with the day's headlines, here is Tian Yu. Thank you, Shane. Chinese President Xi Jinping has published a signed article in South African media ahead of his state visit to the country, where he will also attend the BRICS summit. The president urged more friendship and cooperation with South Africa to achieve greater success. He said strong and productive China-Africa cooperation will provide fresh impetus to global development and ensure greater stability of the world. President Xi added that China and South Africa, as members of the Global South, should work together to appeal for the greater voice and influence of developing countries in international affairs, promote accelerated reforms of international financial institutions, and oppose unilateral sanctions. Chinese authorities are offering a further 500 million yuan, or around 69 million U.S. dollars, to help residents in national flood storage storage areas. The the Finance Ministry and Water Resources Ministry say the fund will support post-flooding construction in Tianjin and Hebei. These regions have suffered heavy losses in agriculture, farming, homes, and machinery during the recent flooding. Firefighters have been able to keep wildfires at bay near Yellow Knife in the Northwest Territories in Canada. The blaze has triggered evacuations of almost 20,000 residents in the city. Many people have left their homes and properties behind to seek refuge in neighboring provinces. When we are driving, both of the highway side, it's burned down so that it's all trees are blocked. The, I think it's the internet line or fiber lines poles are down 
and we still see smokes coming out. Uh, we just had to, 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 to do uh, the instruction per the evacuation order. We were told to move out by Friday midday, which we did. But when we left, everything was just calm and the city was just quiet. That's all. The Northwest Territories is one of the many Canadian regions to declare a state of emergency due to fast-spreading wildfires. Another one is British Columbia, where over 35,000 residents are under evacuation order. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says they are sending the army to help tackle the blazes in the province. Premier David Abbey says the provincial government is restricting non-essential travel to fire-affected areas to ensure enough temporary accommodations for displaced residents and firefighters. Tropical Storm Hillary has brought heavy rains and flooding to Southern California. Previously classified as a hurricane, it has weakened as it made landfall along the U.S.-Mexico border. It's the first tropical storm to hit California in 84 years. Hillary has killed at least one person in Mexico. Bernardo Aravalo has won Guatemala's presidential election by a comfortable margin. He leads former First Lady Sandra Torres by nearly 60% to 37% of the vote. Aravalo has thanked his supporters. This victory is of the Guatemalan people. And now, united as people of Guatemala, we will fight against corruption. The anti-graft politician has also been campaigning to improve the economy in Guatemala. ECOWAS has rejected a three-year transition plan to democracy proposed by Niger's coup leaders. Thousands of people demonstrated in Niamey in support of the military leadership that launched the coup last month. The demonstra- uh, demonstrators chanted slogans against ECOWAS and former colonial power France. The military junta's leaders said they're open to dialogue with ECOWAS, but also warned against outside interference. ECOWAS is considering a military operation to reinstate Niger's ousted president if negotiations fail. Media reports say leaders from Turkey and Hungary have discussed Ankara's accession process to the European Union and other regional and international issues. This comes as visiting Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan met with Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban in Budapest. Hungarian Foreign Minister Peter Siarto says both countries are willing to further advance ties. So far, cooperation between Hungary and Turkey has been described as a strategic partnership. It was previously decided to upgrade this level of cooperation to the level of a privileged strategic partnership, which clearly shows the commitment to enhance cooperation between the two countries and the fact that both countries benefit greatly from this bilateral cooperation. Erdogan reportedly plans to attend the World Athletics Championships in the Hungarian capital and the celebrations to mark, to mark the country's foundation. A White House official says the Biden administration is planning to urge all Americans to get a booster shot for COVID-19 this fall. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is reporting an increase in infections and hospital admissions from the coronavirus. Several developers have updated their vaccines and are hoping the shots will be available for this autumn. Thank you very much. That was Tianyu reporting. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's rising trade with other BRICS nations. Would you like to receive the latest news updates about China and the rest of the globe? Tune in to the Beijing Hour every weekday for the latest in politics, business, sports and entertainment from a Chinese perspective. Subscribe to the Beijing Hour for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. 37 minutes past the hour now. Turning to business and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished lower on Monday. Timothy Pope has more. The downward pressure that was plaguing the markets uh, last week did not disappear over the weekend and the Shanghai uh, and Shenzhen stocks opened lower. The central bank moved to uh, lower lending and borrowing costs by cutting the one-year uh, benchmark loan prime rate. But the markets uh, seem to have been hoping for a cut in the five-year rate as well, on which uh, mortgages are based. Uh, but the PBOC left that one unchanged this month. Uh, the Shanghai Composite lost one and a quarter percent and is nearing the key 3,000-point level. 
without the prospect of lower mortgage rates, investors continued to sell out of Chinese real estate stock. CZN Holdings lost 1.6% and China Banker shared 2.3%. Financial stocks were trading sharply lower as well, with eight of the top 10 biggest drags on the market being either banks, insurers or brokerages. Uh, China Life Insurance uh, held the bottom spot with a 4.3% decline. Losses weren't confined to those sectors, uh, but they were pretty heavy uh, in every corner of the market except for tech, uh, which managed to eke out some modest gains. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index lost more than 1.8%. In Japan, the Nikkei was up around four-tenths of a percent. In the first seven months of 2023, China's foreign trade with other BRICS countries soared 19% to around 2.4 trillion yuan, or over 327 billion U.S. dollars. The figure accounted for over 10% of China's total foreign trade value during the January to July period, an increase of 1.6 percentage points. In terms of exports, China's trade with Brazil, Russia, India, and South Africa totaled over 1.2 trillion yuan, a showing growth of 24%. The country's imports from other BRICS countries reached 1.2 trillion yuan, increasing 14%. Trade between China's private uh, companies and BRICS countries have also been booming. The trade volume between the two sides reached 1.4 trillion yuan, accounting for 57% of the total between China and the other BRICS countries during the period. Chinese financial authorities have held a conference to discuss financial support for the development of the real economy and the mitigation of financial risk. They noted that M2, a broad measure of money supply and social financing, as well as new yuan-denominated loans, have continued to maintain rapid growth. In the first seven months of the year, China's new yuan-denominated loans totaled one po- or rather uh, 16 trillion yuan, or over 2 trillion U.S. dollars, an increase of over 1.6 trillion yuan. Uh, the meeting emphasized that financial support for the real economy must be adequate, steady, and sustainable, and uh, major financial institutions should play a proactive role in steadily uh, increasing loan issuance. The meeting called for continuous efforts to promote the reduction of financing costs in the real economy and coordinate the prices of financial uh, products. People's Bank of China's lowered its one-year loan prime rate, the benchmark lending rate, by 10 basis points to over 3.4%. Meantime, the five-year loan prime rate, which influences mortgage pricing, remained unchanged at 4.2%. The reduction in the one-year LPR uh, comes after China's central bank lowered its medium-term lending facility last week. Uh, to find out more about these uh, changes to the LPR and the Chinese economy, Michelle Vandenberg spoke with Ying Li, head of financial institutions. Institution, uh, institutions ratings at S&P Global Ratings. Now, China surprised the market by leaving the five-year loan prime rate unchanged and cutting the one-year loan prime rate by just 10 basis points. What do you think is behind this modest rate cut? Um, the only marginal adjustment of the LPR indicate a moderate and steady policy approach. Um, this level of cut is quite similar with the central bank, what it has been doing for the past several uh, months. Um, five-year LPR is linked to the mortgage lending, so by keeping it unchanged, we believe government is not very interested in overstimulating the real estate market. And we believe uh, this is also in line with the government emphasis on high-quality development. And we also think uh, the modest cut will also help stabilize the banking sector's profitability this year. And this is in the interest of the overall financial stability. As for the social credit uh, data, New Year loans hit a record low in July. What do you think are the reasons behind that? And will this LPR cut have an immediate positive impact on corporate financing? Um, the slowdown of the lending increase is due to a weakened credit demand uh, in July. Um, this is not related to a credit crunch. Encouraged by the government, the banks have actually been quite willing to lend to the real economy. Uh, as we all know, the economic recovery this year has been a tortuous process. Uh, the economy is faced with um, multiple challenges, such as the property sector slowdown, the weaker than expected export and consumption growth, and the liquidity challenge of some LGFVs in some regions. Uh, those factors have impacted the credit demand in general, uh, but we believe um, the government is still in the course of encouraging high quality 
uh, development. Um, so um, that is why the cut has been modest. Mm -hmm. As for whether this cut will have an immediate and obvious impact, the drop of LPR surely will help ease the interest servicing pressure of corporate. It will help the real economy, um, but interest rate level uh, is only one of the many factors which affect credit demand. We believe LPR cut will help, uh, but more measures beyond interest rate level will be needed to improve the credit demand in a sustainable manner. That was uh, Michelle Vandenberg speaking with Ing Lee, head of financial institutions ratings at S&P Global Ratings. Shanxi Province has seen its raw coal output surpass 780 million tons in the first seven months of this year amid efforts to increase production to ensure energy supply. Output in China's largest coal-producing region accounted for around 30% of the nation's total production during the January to July period. Shanxi has increased its coal production to ensure China's energy supply with about 2 million tons of coal transported across the country every day. The province has uh, set a coal production target of over 1.3 billion tons for this year. The medical beauty industry has been booming in recent years in China. Uh, analysts expect the market value of the industry to reach billions of dollars this year and continue to expand in the future. Chen Tong takes a closer look at how this emerging sector is overcoming obstacles to meet ever-changing market demand. The ongoing treatment is photo rejuvenation. It uses lasers and intense pulse light to treat wrinkles, spots, and textures. The whole procedure only takes some 15 minutes, and there's barely any decubation. You are able to pick up makeup the next day. I'm older than 30, and my skin is sagging and has wrinkles and spots. It's hard to change by daily skincare. I want to solve my problems at a medical facility. The clinic is also qualified to do complicated surgeries such as double eyelid operation, rhinoplasty, and liposuction. But there are fewer and fewer consumers who want to do such surgeries that involve lying on an operating table. 60% of the businesses at the hospital are now light medical beauty procedures, such as photo rejuvenation and hyaluronic acid injections. People's demands are different. They want to become pretty, but they don't want others to know what they did. They pursue a more natural effect, so they're becoming more cautious. Light medical beauty is easy to undergo, and it is able to achieve an ideal effect. But light medical beauty procedures are not permanent. The effects of photo rejuvenation, for example, usually last for three months. And that means you need to undergo it regularly to keep a good skin status. Yan Zhongyu has invested in over 80 cosmetic surgery hospitals in China. From the perspective of an investor, a good project should be easily duplicated. Consumers will return to consume and it's a trend that will not be easily disappear. Light medical cosmetic surgeries have such characteristics because they have special equipment and materials. For example, a nurse can well use a laser hair removal machine after training, but it's hard to train a surgeon. Blue Max functional skincare businesses started in 2018. And now the sector far exceeds its other business divisions. Income came in at over 600 million US dollars in 2022 accounting for over 70% of the company's revenue. We can get closer to consumers, make our profit model more diversified and our revenue higher. Getting closer to consumers makes us more sensitive to market trends. The business-to-business -business model separates us from consumers. Data from research from Lead Leo shows domestic brands accounted for over 27% of the market share for functional skincare products in China. The increasing market share also stems from Chinese consumers' rising knowledge of chemical-based beauty care and products. That was Chen Tong reporting from Shanghai. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, the FIFA Women's World Cup has crowned a winner. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 
48 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here's Brendan Yates. Thank you, Shane. We begin with football news, and Spain defeated England 1-0 at Stadium Australia over the weekend to lift their first-ever FIFA, FIFA Women's World Cup title. Olga Carmona's superb strike in the 29th minute of the game secured the victory for Spain. Spain coach Jorge Vilda was immensely proud of his team's achievement. Extreme happiness. We have made many millions of people happy that have been watching us in Spain while we have been at the tournament. I feel very proud of my team, of my football players, not only those who have been here at the World Cup, but those who have participated during the whole of the qualification rounds and the training camps. Spain dominated not only the possession but the overall play as England were guilty of making poor errors and it was a Lucy Bronze giveaway in midfield that eventually allowed Carmona to rifle home her match-winning effort. The Spanish FA has released a statement confirming Carmona's father had died before the final, with the Spain captain only finding out after the match. New Chelsea boss Maurizio Pochettino's wait for a first victory will go on for five more days at least, as his side fell to a 3-1 away loss at West Ham. Chelsea had equalised in the 28th minute and only had themselves to blame for defeat, as they dominated possession, missed chances and saw a penalty by Enzo Fernandez saved. Pochettino sent on the club's latest big money signing Moises Caicedo, but he gave away the penalty which sealed his side's fate. Manchester City manager Pep Guardiola says John Stones will be out of action until after the international break in September due to an injury. It also casts doubt on the defender's availability for England's Euro qualifier against Ukraine and friendly with Scotland next month. The 29-year-old suffered a muscle injury during pre-season training. Guardiola is facing additional injury concerns, with Belgian midfielder Kevin De Bruyne sidelined for at least four months after suffering a hamstring injury. In tennis, Coco Goff and Novak Djokovic secured the Cincinnati Open singles titles this weekend. Goff shocked the world number one and heavily favoured Iga Swiatek with a straight sets 6-3, 6-4 win. On the men's side, Djokovic defeated Carlos Alcaraz in three sets. Djokovic rallied from a set and a breakdown against the world number one and saved a championship point at 5-6 in the second set tiebreak. Despite letting slip an opportunity to serve for the title at 5-4 in the third set, he bounced back to triumph after a gripping 3 hours and 49 minutes, in which both men showed incredible shot-making and mental fortitude. It was the longest best-of-three final in ATP Tour history. Djokovic compared the seesaw battle with the 2012 Australian Open final, where he defeated Rafael Nadal in an epic five-set thriller. I don't think I've played too many matches like this in my life. Uh, maybe I can compare it to Nadal finals in Australian Open 2012. That went the distance, obviously three sets a day, but almost four hours. Uh, some, you know, phases of the match went the way of one player, some the other player. We went kind of toe to toe. Just one of the most exciting uh, and toughest mentally, emotionally, physically matches that I've ever had in my career. The win also means the Serbian world number two won a record-extending 39th ATP Masters 1000 title. The Chinese men's basketball team lost 87-64 to Serbia in its final warm-up game before the FIBA World Cup. Guard Hu Ming Xuan notched a team-high 14 points, with naturalized player Li Kaiyo making his home debut in Shenzhen. He scored six points in the game where he sustained a foot injury. China will face Serbia again in World Cup Group B, which also has South Sudan and Puerto Rico. Chinese strawweight champion Zhang Wei Li defeated Amanda Limos in a UFC title bout at Boston's TD Garden this weekend. Zhang dominated first-time challenger Limos in every aspect en route to a clean unanimous decision. Judges scored the 115-pound title fight 50-43, 50-44 and 49-45. It marked Zhang's fourth strawweight title win. Zhang landed an aston astonishing 296 total strikes to just 29 by Limos. The main reason for the discrepancy was Zhang's grappling, as she took Limos down in all five rounds and delivered a complete beatdown on the ground. Limos of Brazil showcased a lot of heart in continuing to try and work back to her feet, but she was visibly outclassed in the wrestling department. And finally, American Noah Lyles won his first global 100 meters title with a narrow victory at the Athletics World Championships. Lyle won the race with a time of 9.83 seconds. 
I mean, I've been a world champion for a few times now, about three, but to be a 100-meter world champion, that's a great feeling to have. I know I'm, I've known that I've always been the guy with the, the highest top in speed, but to be able to grab the 100-meter title at this moment, when it counts, on the right day, that's really what it's talking Like, that's really the goal. Lyles will also go in the 200 meters later in the week. Elsewhere in Budapest, Uganda's Joshua Cheptegei won a third consecutive men's 10,000 meter title. There were also wins in the women's long jump for Serbia's Ivana Vuleta and men's hammer for Canada's Ethan Katzberg. Thank you very much. That was Brendan Yates with sports. Coming up in uh, culture and entertainment, Barbie's being dethroned from the top of the North American box office. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men, Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 54 past the hour now and turning to culture and entertainment here is Yang Guang. Thank you Shane. DC superhero film Blue Beetle that weekend ticket sales in North America with a modest 25.4 million US dollars. I had no idea it would activate. It has to choose you. It dethroned Barbie from the top spot after a record-setting run that left movie theaters colored pink for a month. The Barbie phenomenon is far from over, though. The fantasy comedy nearly managed to stay number one again, with 21.5 million in its fifth weekend. It's up to nearly 1.3 billion globally and is close to beating the Super Mario Bros. movie as the highest-grossing film globally this year. Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer also continues to perform remarkably well, taking in over 10 million in its fifth week. Experts have warned of the impacts climate change is having on ancient murals. Advisors made the comments at World Forum on Cave Temple Conservation held near China's Daozhu Rock Carvings, a renowned UNESCO World Cultural Heritage Site in Chongqing. Liu Yang spoke to the participants at the event. For the last 35 years, Professor Wang Jinghua has spent most of his professional time fixing old rock carvings more than 1,300 years old. Wang says the carvings risk becoming damaged over time due to the weather and climate change. This can make them damp, allowing mold to grow and salt to form on the surface. As water leaks into the cave temples, it puts the ancient pieces of art at risk. The chest and abdomen of this reclining Buddha had severe water seepage. There are still traces of it, as it was very prominent at that time. After decades of treatment, from the beginning of the 1980s to 2017, the water can no longer enter the cave and cause damage to the grotto. But Professor Wang says the wider situation remains urgent. Experts from around the world also agree climate change has harmed the precious relics. One big problem is fixing and improving them can take years, even decades. Just this past Saturday, when the 160 experts from seven different countries came together to talk about how important it is to safeguard rock carvings across the world. I think uh, it's not just an issue for China. And it's not just an issue in terms of um, the context of climate change and, you know, the the rapid changes that are occurring in the environment. It's a it's a question for the international community, for the for the community of all humanity, to preserve our past. Because only when we understand our past and we we are able to interpret our past and the connections that different communities made with each other. For grotto statues, it's necessary, as we call it, to save their lives and cure the diseases inside the rock. The stone statue is silently enduring climate change, including acid rain and so on. The grotto cannot talk, but they speak to us through our research about them. To boost the efforts at preservation, a memorandum of understanding also signed Saturday between two institutions, the Academy of Dazu Rock Carvings and the leading museum in Pakistan, to better cooperate on protecting the ancient relics. That was Liu Yang on the impacts of climate change on ancient murals.
And finally, a Chinese production of William Shakespeare's classic *The Tempest* will hit the Prime Theater in Beijing next month. Directed by Tim Supple and starring veteran theatrical actor Pu Chunxin, the play will be staged at the National Center for the Performing Arts starting September 9th. *The Tempest* is the last play Shakespeare wrote exclusively by himself, demonstrating his vision of the future of humanity. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with Culture and Entertainment.、Uh, turning to the weather forecast before we go for the day and.、Uh, Beijing's at 22 degrees overnight. Tuesday it'll be sunny and 32. Chongqing's down to 25, then sunny and 35. Lhasa dips to 11.、Uh, tomorrow showers and 23. Hong Kong's 28 this evening, followed by cloudy and 32 degrees on Tuesday. Elsewhere,、uh, Tokyo's 26 overnight, then a light rainfall and 32. Islamabad's down to 27 degrees, then sunny and 36. Bangkok's at 26 this evening, then moderate rainfall and 34 degrees tomorrow. And finally, in Africa, Nairobi. Getting a light rainfall and a high of 27 degrees.、And、that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today: Chinese President Xi Jinping is attending the BRICS summit in Johannesburg and paying a state visit to South Africa. And、the second round of balloting in Guatemala's presidential election has produced a surprise winner. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigam in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next、uh, edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. <laughs>